Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you've been with us, you know that Paul has taken us through several things about God, the theology, the church, and we just left a section where Paul took us through God's plan for creation marriage. We spent a few weeks on that, and I'm happy to say I survived. <laughs> I survived. I actually had several people come up to me and, and say, Pastor, I never looked at marriage that way. It's changed my whole outlook. And, and I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed that you took the word and took it at face value and you applied that to your life because that's what we are to do with the word. We are to take the word and not try to change the word to fit our situation, but we are to change our situation to fit the word. And Paul just walked us through that section on, on marriage and, and how marriage is set up. And now in a natural flow through the Christian life, he moves from the marriage into the family setup. If you remember from marriage, uh, the family uh, starts with this proper view of what marriage is. The proper view that, that husbands uh, are to lead their wives lovingly. They submit to the leadership of God in their lives so that it comes out in a loving overflow in the leadership of their wife and their family. And wives are to submit to their husbands just as if submitting to the Lord. And they're supposed to do that for God's glory, if you remember. Now he turns that whole picture of submission and the spirit-filled marriage and he points that now towards this family unit. If you know anything about our world today, if you're paying much attention to what's going on, there could have been some changes in a few families that would have changed the outcome of a lot of things in today's world. You see young people that go off to college and they suddenly have rights that I never grew up having, to be quite honest. They, they demand things that I never dared demand. They do things that I absolutely never dared do, and there's a reason. It's because I grew up being instructed from the Word what it meant to be a part of God's family. Therefore, the Word says that you put others before yourself, that you do unto others as you would like them to do unto you, as we like to say. Yet, that verse is a little hard to find in the Bible. <laughs> we, we've learned as we look at the Bible that true Christian walk, especially in the family unit, is to be as Christ was. We remember that Christ humbled himself. He's the Lord of all things, the creator of all things, the word of God. Did he humbled himself to come to this earth for us. And you see, Paul now turns his attention from the marriage and points into this family unit we're going to talk about this morning. I know some are saying, well, pastor, I don't have kids. I don't have kids at home anymore. Or I'm past the childbearing age. There's one beautiful thing about scripture. All scripture applies in all cases, I believe. And there's one thing that the word tells us. Those of you who have raised kids and they have gone on, you now have the responsibility of instructing them on how to raise their children. Even down through your great-grandchildren, you have that responsibility, but not only in your family unit at home, but within the church. You have the responsibility of being godly leaders in the church to show those who are coming along with children exactly how to take them through the Word and how to raise those kids. We're to be a part of the family. That's why I think God calls us the family of God. That's why He says we're all knit together because we're here to help each other. So just because we're talking about family this morning, and just because you're past the age of bringing family into the world and raising them, don't check out this morning. Because God's Word has something to say to you. Paul makes three points, really, about the family in this 
section of Scripture. He starts off with the very first point, which is not really written in Scripture, but is obvious by what he's writing about. And the first point that he makes is that children are valuable. There's one thing that needs to be told to children in this world today, and it's that they are valuable. Forever, children have been seen as a hindrance in most families because it takes the, the husband away from the things he wants to do or the wife from away the things they want to do or it, it now slows them down. They're not able to travel and do things. And, and the kid perceives that they are, in fact, a hindrance. Yet we need to make sure the children understand that they are valuable. For Paul to even mention children in such an important letter to the church, he emphasizes their importance in the family unit. See, Jesus himself placed great importance on the family. If you flip back over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 19 comes to mind. Matthew chapter 19 and the 13th verse says this, Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked him. See what the disciples did? These little children were brought into the midst and the disciples rebuked him. But it says in verse 14 of chapter 19, it says, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Just a chapter before that in the 18th chapter. Matter of fact, to start off that 18th chapter in the very first verse, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So here's disciples coming. They want to know who is the greatest. Jesus could have used any example he wanted to use, but look what he used as an example. It says in verse 2, then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of this of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus, I think, put a very strong stamp of approval on who children are, who their or what their value is to him, therefore their value to God. One of my favorite paintings I've ever seen of a, of a author or painter's rendition of Jesus when he's sitting with that little child in his lap. And we know it's probably not the, a picture of Jesus as, as he is, or it's not even maybe a picture of the particular child that was sitting in his lap. But the idea of Jesus spending time with a little child to me, speaks of the great importance of children. The psalmist also tells us about the value of children. In Psalm 127, matter of fact, in Psalm 127 is one of those sections of Scripture. I mentioned uh, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 119 this morning, which is a long section of Scripture about, uh, about the Bible and about planting the Word in your heart. But Psalm 127 in, in verse number 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a, woman, a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who have his, has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The psalmist here makes a couple of points. I like the fact that he says in verse 3, children are a heritage. You know, wouldn't you like to know that as a father and as a mother that there is a heritage in your family? There's something coming behind you to carry on, as they said in the old days, that family name. In, in many countries, they look for the birth of a male 
a child so that the name of the family is continued. And, and here the writer says that this, these children are a heritage from the Lord. He's really saying they are a blessing from God. It's not from the physical unity of a man and a woman, so to speak. That's the way God chose to bring children into the world. But the actual gift of the child is from God. They are a continuing legacy of the family. It's reminiscent to me of, of God's promise to Abraham, if you remember God's promise to Abraham. When he took him out and he said, look, look at the sand, look at the stars. When all said and done, Abram, your, your kinfolk, your legacy, your heritage will be greater than, than the number that you can count. He took a man with no children, a wife that was barren and couldn't bear children, and he said, your heritage it's going to be the children that come. And from your children, your children's children, and on down through the generations. It reminds me of that. He goes on to also say that they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows, they, arrows were an essential part of a, of a soldier's defense, part of his well-being. They were, yes, an offensive weapon as well. But as someone was attacking, that was the way that they, they defended themselves with these arrows. Likewise, uh, children are, are part and essential to the well-being of of family. Some of you are are up in age. Some of you are ever so appreciative that you have children in your family that are able to come and help. I've been with many people who in their older age are not able to take care of themselves, but their children step in and they're arrows against the things that come towards their older mom or dad and they step in and take care of them and help lead and guide them in the right direction. That's part of the heritage. That's that's part of the well-being. But then in verse 5, or verse uh, number 5, he says that happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. It reminds me of the fact that God's blessing comes with each child. With each child that's added to the quiver using the thought of the arrow comes more blessing from God. A man with a full house has a happy life, though sometimes it may not seem like it. I know it gets hectic when you have the children around sometimes, and there always seems to be something to do. But remember, when you look at that child, they're valuable. They're a gift from God, and they're a blessing to you as a gift from God. They're a blessing both in your young age as you're rearing them, and then in your older age as they help to take care of you. So Paul reiterates to us what Scripture proclaims about children, that children are a valuable gift to God or from God. So he talks about this valuable gift, but he also then talks about in Ephesians the parent-child relationships and how important those relationships are. It amazes me sometimes as I sit and talk with parents the way they perceive the relationship between them and their child. Sometimes I wonder who's the parent and who's the child. Sometimes I wonder, do they have any plan for their children. And see, Paul not only reiterates to us in Ephesians that children are valuable, but he also relates to us that the parent-child relationship is of extreme importance. And like I mentioned as I started, we see in this world today that the children that are coming behind us, they're a little on the mixed up side, aren't they? And I think a lot of that has to do with the parenting has been handed off to someone else. It's been handed off to our schools. It's been handed off in some cases to our churches. It's been handed off to other entities or authors that write books or psychologists that come up with brilliant ideas. 
But Paul here starts in the sixth chapter by pointing to this relationship and the child's relationship to his parents. And the child's relationships to his parents, he actually places into two categories. The very first is the child's actions. The child's actions in this relationship. In Ephesians 6, 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents. How many of you would love to know that your child always obeyed everything that you said? Would anybody stand up this morning and give that testimony that they did? (laughs) Would anybody stand up and say, even as a child, you obeyed every command that your mother and father gave? I look back, matter of fact, in preparing this and looked at my life. And you know, some of the biggest heartaches I had as a child, especially as a teenager, was when I thought, Dad, wasn't all that smart. But you know what I've learned as I've gotten older? Dad's gotten smarter. It seems like he was right more than he was wrong. And I think back on the number of times that I chose to disobey what my father had told me. And you know, I can't think of a single one of those situations that turned out for the better, to be quite honest. I think back and think, you know, if I had just listened to mom and dad, this would have been different. If I had just paid attention to their instruction, this would have been different. And you see, Paul says that there's these actions, these actions, and it starts with the children obeying parents. That's the action. Paul now takes the concept of obedience and that we looked at with the husband and wife, and he looks at it in the actions of, of the children. Children are to obey their parents. The question that comes to my mind is, why? Why would a child want to obey their parents? First, remembering back to what he's already talked about with the husband and wife, it's because the parent is set up as the authority in the family. Never mistake when you, when you chose to bring a child into this world because God blessed you with a child, he put you, parents, in charge. He put you in charge. I know many parents that don't like to be in charge. I happen to work with a few that don't like to be in charge. But make no mistake about it, when God blessed you with a child, he put the authority position uh, squarely upon your shoulders. The father to be the head of the family, the wife to be the nurturer of the family, and the child to obey the authority that is set in place by God. The child that is obedient to the parents, therefore, is obedient to God. Never forget. That the obedience you request from your child should be that they be obedient to the instruction of God. They're not to be your slave. (laughs) They're not to do your every whim. You are to lead and guide them just as the instruction we saw for the husband and wives and what God has said to be done. And therefore, as they're obedient to your instruction, they're actually being obedient to God. I love the passage over in Colossians, over in Colossians Uh, Chapter 3, in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Wouldn't you like to know that God is pleased with your child? And it comes in the fact that, that they are set as the authority. If they are leading according to God's standards and the child is obedient to that leading, They're being pleasing to God. So first, they are to be obedient because God set it into authority. Second, comes right from what Paul wrote here. The second reason they are to be obedient is because, it says at the end of verse 1, for this is right. 
for this is right. The Greek word translated right there is the same word that is translated just or righteous all over the New Testament. It really could read, for this is righteous. This is righteous. Have you ever thought that leading your child towards obedience to your authority and God's standing makes them be led towards righteousness? And see, as you lead your child, then you should be leading them towards righteousness. You see, in a very real sense, the parents stand in that gap between God and their children until their, God, until their child comes to the understanding of who God is and who Christ is in their life. See, we as parents should be leading our children toward righteousness, and righteousness can only be found in Jesus Christ. The children are, God, are God's, and the parents have been given the responsibility to be stewards of that child. And Paul says it is right for the children to obey parents, especially when you understand that, that we parents are to be stewards of this gift of marvelous children in our life. The first part then in the child-parent relationship is their actions. But he goes on then to the second part, and he says there's also the attitudes of the child. You see, the actions within themselves are no good without the right attitude. It's much like salvation. You can make all the steps it takes that are prescribed. You can do all the things, the outward things, uh, the coming and walking the aisle and saying that Jesus is Lord of your life and saying that you've asked to be forgiven for sins, even be baptized. You can do all the actions. But if the heart never changes, if the attitude towards God never changes, salvation never happens. And it's the same thing with children. They can do all the obeying actions, but what we're really after is the attitude change. See, the attitude change is long-lasting. The attitude change towards the obedience in the family also is an attitude change towards who God is. How do we know that there's an attitude element to this? Verse 2 says this, Honor your father and mother. The Greek word translated honor here really means to, to value or to respect. How many of you are around families that children no longer respect their parents? You see it a lot. Matter of fact, you see it worse, I believe, not in the smaller kids, but now in the kids that have become teens or moved on to the college age, even young adults. The respect for mother and father has disappeared. And here he says that the right attitude is to, to value parents and to respect them. The word is most often used, that, that word that's translated there is most often used whenever it's spoke of in the New Testament of our reverence, our respect of God. So what he's really saying is the attitude of the child towards parents should reflect the parent's attitude of respect and honor towards God. See, again, it points back to the shoulders of the parents this, to me, reflects right to that fifth commandment, which is, which is what he's given there, if you remember, is in Exodus 20, verse 12, when it says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's what it says in Exodus 20. Paul here is reflecting on it when he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And what is that promise? that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. <laughs> it's really the first horizontal commandment, if you remember. There are ten commandments. The first four are vertical. They're between man and God. 
the very first horizontal, the man-to-man commandment, is this commandment. This commandment. When the when God said, take the stone and etch on it my commands, the first four are going to explain to your people how to relate to me. And he says, now we're going to turn our attention to how you relate to each other. The first thing that come from the mind of God and went on to the stone was honor your father and mother. You think it's important to God that children obey and honor their parents? I think it's extremely important. As a matter of fact, he ties with that this promise. It is indicative. It is indicative to the fact that our relationships to each other begin with our relationships really to our parents. Because who is the first person that cares for you, that loves you, and teaches you in this world? It's your parent. See, children that come out of the hospital and go to a home that is loving and nurturing and caring grow in that love. Children that come out of the hospital and, and maybe for some odd reason go to foster care, go to broken homes, some are even sent to, to different members of the family to be taken care of, seem to have struggle in their life. And there's a reason for that. Because it's designed that the mother and father be the caring, nurturing uh, leader of that family. I wrote down a few things that came to my mind as I thought about this. It says, a child that respects their parents learns to respect other people. A child that trusts their parents learns to trust other people. A child that loves their parents learns to love other people. A child that honors their parents learns to honor others. What is the result result of honoring your father and your mother? It says there that it may be well with you and you may live long on this earth. How many of us desire that our kids have a well-lived, long life on this earth? Don't we want them to have a life that's enjoyable, that's good to them, that's a blessing to them and and last a long time on this earth? I do. I want my kids to experience all the things that God has made for them. He tells us there that, that there is this certain blessing. The command to honor mother comes with that promise. And the promise itself is twofold, that it may be well with you see honor and father and mother brings god's blessing on your life a child who respects and honors his parents receives that blessing from god and most often that blessing comes through the parents so the parents care for their physical needs that's the way that they're blessed they they will be instructed for the life that comes and help them to walk a path instead of the child having to figure the path out on their own they have a parent there to help lead and guide them They will be loved by the parent. And through that love, they will feel the love of the Father. They will be given this spiritual instruction. The greatest of all gifts that a parent can give to a child is spiritual instruction that points them to the cross of Jesus Christ. See, all those things are blessings that will come. And because of this loving relationship, the second thing takes place, that they will live long on this earth. God's promise that a beating, honoring life... uh, doesn't necessarily extend life, but it has that possibility. See, he does not promise that a child's life won't be cut short. Don't think whenever you see a child that dies at a young age from cancer or an accident or things that may go on that it's because they've been dishonoring to their parents. That's not what he's saying here. God is in complete control of each of our days on this earth. He already knows the day that we will leave this earth. He never makes a promise that we have tomorrow. If you remember, Scripture says don't count on tomorrow. 
because it's not promised to you. So God's in complete control of that. So he's not saying here that, that there's going to be this life that lasts forever and it'll last longer if the child's better. What he does promise is he will not shorten those days because of the dishonoring of the parents, which in fact is dishonoring of God. He promises that if you honor your mother and father, if your child honors that relationship of a mother and a father, that he will not cut their days short. You say, well, does God really say that he will cut the lives of kids short on the earth? We read through the book of Exodus. If you were paying any attention this year when we read through that, you saw a couple of verses I jotted down. Exodus 21.15 says, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Move down two verses. It says, And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Yes. God said that the father and mother represent God's leadership in the family. To dishonor them dishonors God. You see multiple places in the Bible where God says, yes, he does shorten life for being dishonoring. So we don't like to think that God would put a a child to death, so to speak, because of this dishonoring. But that is what the Bible says in one essence. And we must be careful how we dismiss what God's word says. All too often we'll take parts of scripture we don't like and say, God didn't mean that literally. Here's the problem with that theology. If you want to take a part and say, God didn't mean that literally, I'm going to take that out, then what would keep us from taking out the scriptures that say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and died on a cross for your sins? See, if you want to take things out that you don't agree with, then what would keep us from taking the things out that you do agree with? See, the Bible either needs to be received in whole or not received at all. And what God says literally is honor your father and mother. And by that, blessings from heaven will be poured upon you and it will extend your time on earth. So we not only see that children are valuable, we not only see that that parent-child relationship is extremely important to God, but then we see parents' instruction is absolutely imperative in the family. Parents, it's no time to back up and punt. It's no time in this world to allow someone else to be the one who gives your kid direction in life. Today is not the time to allow anybody to do your job. We see from one end of the spectrum to the other, even in our churches, how children's minds are being warped by the teaching that they're getting, whether it be in school, whether it be uh, in church, whether it be in peer groups. Kids are being challenged from all angles about the most ungodly thing today. Kids in middle school are being subjected to things I never even saw in high school. Kids are being taught from an early age how to do the wrong thing. Parents, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to step up in the family and teach the child in the way that they should go. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 4, he says this, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. When he starts off and says you fathers, the first inclination is to say, okay, he's only speaking to the fathers. Well, I think he uses fathers here for a particular reason. That word, uh, patiar, is actually the word there that's, that's translated into fathers. That exact same word in Hebrews 11, by the way, was translated parents. Whenever it says by faith when he was born, uh, was hid three months of his parents, speaking of Moses. So that exact same word was, was translated as parents, can be translated both ways, but I believe he used uses it fathers here for a reason 
Because ultimately the, the role of the leadership and the direction of the family falls squarely upon the father's shoulders. And he's saying there that the father should step up. The father should step up and be the d- director, the leader within that family. And this is significant for a couple of reasons. First, it's the father's responsibility to make sure his family is cared for and instructed in the ways of God. That's the, the father, the, the man's responsibility. Second, the father and the mother are to be actively involved in the direction of, of their kids and the raising of their kids. My question is, how, how do we do this? He, he goes on to say there in that same verse I just read, that verse 4, he says, and, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. <laughs> if you want a really good exercise in people trying to pull things out of thin air and describe stuff, go home and look up what uh, theologians and commentators have to say about that particular section of Scripture. You'll see it all the way from, from uh, you're supposed to be gentle and loving and kind to them at all times and not argumentative to, to the point that says well you make them do exactly what you you think they should do all the way to the point that says that's just a a, a, a admonishment to us that there should be no whipping within the family yes all those things can be found in, in theologians descriptions of that but I think you know it's really very simple what he's saying there he's saying without provoking the child to wrath this does not mean that your child should uh, should get anything that they won't absolutely not we see the outcome of that in the world we live in today the Bible clearly gives instruction that it's the duty, it's the duty of the parent, the father in particular, to provide godly discipline whenever it is necessary. So let's just get that out on the table. The Bible clearly says that we are to discipline the children when it is necessary. Proverbs 19.18, for instance, says, Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Then one of my favorites, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. If you read the context of both of those, you realize he's not saying that you are to beat the child every time they don't take out the trash or they don't make their bed. No. Godly discipline is given when something is done that is ungodly. For instance, he's given instruction. Children, obey your parents. There's a proper way to lead and guide your kids in obeying you. And this is the section he's talking about. That's why he's saying, don't provoke them. You know as well as I do that always chasing a child and disciplining them and taking things away from them and and taking them behind the woodshed, as Dad used to say to me, at some point can bring wrath in a child. And I think that's what he is warning us about. Paul's not telling us to avoid discipline. What Paul is saying is not to have an ongoing pattern of treatment that builds up within that child and anger. See, there needs to be a reason for the discipline. There needs to be appropriate discipline for the action. And there needs to be an explanation of why there is this discipline. It's not to beat the child into submission. It's to train the child into God's way of doing things. There are several ways, though, that we can actually bring the child to wrath and provoke them. Oddly enough, physical discipline is the least of these. I wrote down just a couple very quickly. It says, overprotection of their children. (laughs) Being so overbearing that the child never gets to do anything or go anywhere. (laughs) Making all the decisions for them, 
and not allowing the kid to make any mistakes. Do you realize sometimes you can be so overbearing on a child that it brings wrath? There's another way that we can be wrathful or bring wrath up in a child, cause a child to be angry. It's, it's comparing everything they do to somebody else, <laughs> especially when it's within the family, when we compare one sibling to another. <laughs> Pressuring them to be high achievers. We see that in this world today going rampant. Parents lay upon their child the goals that they should have and then pressure them to get there. We see kids in college now having nervous breakdowns because they're not able to get the grades that's expected of them. They're not able to chase down the career that mom and dad think they should have. We see people coming out of college completely obliterated to, to what they're going to do, completely upside down because they've been chasing a dream that's not even their own. Failing to express approval for even the smallest accomplishments. You know what goes a long way in the heart of a child being open to your instruction? Saying you did a good job, no matter the size of the thing that they did. Always trying to find something good about what's going on with them. There's another way that we bring wrath up in kids, and it's not demonstrating sacrifice on our part for the things that they need. I don't know how many families that I see that dad's always going to have all the toys he wants, mom's always going to have all the things she wants, even at the expense of the child having what they need. Notice there's a difference between want and need. There are so many kids today that don't have the things they need because mom and daddy want too many things. You teach your child some very bad habits when you do that. There's another way that we provoke wrath within children, and that's withdrawing love when there is failure. We have to be careful when a child fails and sins against us, sins against God, that we do discipline them, but we do not withdraw our love from them in that discipline process. They need to understand their failure does not mark who they are. They are, point number one, valuable. And they're so valuable, we're going to love them even through this sin in their life. Another way that we can keep from provoking wrath is to be consistent in our discipline. To always discipline in the same manner. Don't make the child guess what's coming. Set out a rule. Have if the rule is broken, there's a particular discipline. And let that always be the pattern. Discipline for any other reason other than willful disobedience or defiance brings up wrath in a child. See, we should be disciplined when there's willful disobedience and defiance, and especially willful disobedience and defiance of God's instruction in their life. So first, we're talking about provoking the child. The second thing he says there to us is bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So the last part of verse 4, he says, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. In contrast to the negative of not provoking them, now he steps up and said, that's the negative. Don't provoke them. Now he says, here's the positive. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's obviously the duty of the parents to train their children in, in the ways that they are to go in this world, not to train them in the ways of the world. <laughs> See, it's not the church's responsibility to change your, change your children and train your children. It's not the school's responsibility to train your children. Yes, it's their responsibility to teach them the skills they need, 
but not to train the hearts of your kids. It's not the grandparents' responsibility. It is squarely the parents' responsibility to train their child. The church, the Christian school, the regular school, the grandparents, the Christian friends are to come alongside and help, but it is definitely, most definitely, the parents' responsibility. How are we to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord? Very quickly. First and foremost, you must know the Lord is your Savior. There's absolutely no way you can expect your child to achieve something that you are to teach them when you don't even know what it is. First and foremost in our life, we must accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and not only accept Him as our Savior, but make sure He is Lord of our life and head over our life and turn our life over to Him. We must secondly then be actively reading and studying our Bibles. How can you pass on something that you don't know? I find it very interesting the number that I talk to that, that quote pieces of Scripture, but when you ask them to find it or to give you the context of it, they don't know. They're trying to use the right tool. They're trying to use it in the wrong manner. You should know the Word, just like I told the kids this morning, Psalm 119. Go home and read all 176 verses. Here's what you're going to find out. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, has the most verses. It's all set up on the alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet. Those are all great things. But you know the greatest thing you'll find out about Psalm 119? It talks about the importance of God's Word. You think it's any indication to us that the longest chapter in the Bible explains to us how important the Bible is? I think there's no coincidence there. You must use the Bible then as your filter. You must look at what the Bible says about the world, not what the world says about the world. We must start pointing our children to the fact that God's Bible answers the problem. You may say, well, I can't look and find it. You can find the principle for all things in life in the Bible. That's why it's given to us. We must start pointing our children that way, and we must demand that they use the Bible as their instruction to the world. When they choose to step out of God's instruction... That's when the discipline takes place. As long as they're within the instruction and what the Word says, it's a teaching process. You see, Deuteronomy 6, 4, we'll close with this, gives some instruction to us about how important the Word is. If you don't know what... Deuteronomy 6 holds. It holds a very important scripture to the Jews, and I believe should be a very important scripture to us. But Deuteronomy 6 4 says this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Very quickly, there's a couple of things that jump out of that at me. This section of Scripture is actually the Hebrew Shema. The Hebrew Shema. That is the Jewish confession of faith. If you look at it, it should be our confession of faith. The Lord our God is one. It speaks of God being God and being one in three parts. It says that we shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. 
Church, if we loved God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, leading our children in the right direction would be a piece of cake. Then it goes on to say, we're to teach the word to our children. See, it immediately follows a statement of who God is and what we should do in our life. And it says, teach this to your children. It says that we should talk about it at all times. Let me ask you this. Does this sound like your house? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And does this sound like the, what happened at your house last night? Uh, it says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Do you notice what he's saying? God's word should be what comes out of your mouth at all times. See, our families would be changed if our language and our hearts were changed by God's word. He even goes on to say we should meditate on this word all the time. See, parents, I think we're to follow that Proverbs section of Scripture, the whole book of Proverbs, actually. When you notice the writer of Proverbs, as he starts each of those sections of the Proverbs, says, My son, listen to my command. My son, this. He's actually given wisdom to his son. That wisdom is pulled from the heart of Scripture as he passes that along. We should point our children to God's Word in all cases, in all situations. We should instruct them in this Word that they may grow to have it in their heart. But most importantly, parents, we should live out this Word in the presence of our children. Our discussions at the dinner table, the things we say on the couch, while we're driving in the car, as we're talking to them about the situations of life should flow from the heart filled with the Word of God. Maybe this morning you realize you've not been leading your family in that direction. There's good news. There's good news. God forgives. God chastens those that He loves, corrects them with a purpose that we may do that which He desires for us to do. Maybe you realize you don't lead biblically because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's even better news. Jesus is waiting with open arms. If this morning you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, just know that he already knows that you're a sinner. He tells us in the word that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Know that Jesus Christ is, has died upon a cross to pay for those sins. If you're willing to admit to God that you are a sinner and receive that free gift of Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and your Savior, this morning you could leave this place a changed person, and therefore, your family will be changed by that. Maybe you realize today you've been using your own wisdom to direct the ways of your life and your family. And things just haven't gone as well as you thought they would. God says this morning, if you'll come and repent of your sin, the sin of not doing it His way, He is faithful and just to forgive you that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if there's one thing we need in this world today, is Christian families being led by Christian parents in the direction Christ would have them to go. That's the answer to the problem in the world today because then others will see Christ in you. Today, surrender your life to Christ and commit to follow His Word. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.